Hi, I'm Marcus. I've been working in the area of ageing and longevity for over 25 years, both here in Australia and right across the world. And I want us to develop new thinking on getting older. Booming the podcast is about unlocking the mysteries of getting older in today's society. It's about understanding the opportunity we have to embrace our new longevity and overcome the challenges that we'll encounter along the way. I haven't been promiscuous. I haven't been running around sleeping with everybody at all. I'm not something hot to trot, you know. I'm really excited about this conversation with Doreen Wentweer, who went to university at the age of 71. One year they made me student of the year because I had attended the most courses. She authored her book, Sex in Your 70s, and now, well into her 90s, Doreen continues to write books. She said, you know, there's one area of sex that hasn't been explored, and that's sex involving the older person. I said, what are you looking at me for? I think that with the young, a lot of them will go to bed with anybody, really. And then she went to the door and smiled at him in bed, and he smiled back, and there were all these gaps. And so she screamed out, where are your teeth? She lives on her hinterland property and provides a shining example of booming through later life. Doreen shares her approach to daily life and how we can all embrace intimacy, gardening and other passions at any age. And I go to heaven and I meet St Peter at the pearly gates and he says to me, Doreen, what did you do when you were alive on earth? And I say I made beads. He could well say to me, I think you could have done a lot more. Doreen Wentweer, welcome to Booming. Well, I'm a single great-grandmother living here and I'm, I live on three-quarters of an acre almost and I have bits of it under vegetable garden. So apart from just living in the house and, and of course isolating during the pandemic, which has really changed my life of course, well I try to get out into the garden and grow the vegetables which I then eat. So the garden rewards me in many, many ways. It sustains me and it gives me enthusiasm for the day. Is that a daily activity for you, the, the gardening and producing goods for yourself to, to consume? And... Well, primarily, but I do have a very untidy office. And <laughs> as you know, I'm, I'm a writer. Yes. And I have brought out a new book just this year. And so I have to go in and see to my computer daily because I have my own website, sexinyour70s.com. That's if you want any books, you've got to get into <laughs> sexinyour70s.com. And of course, I have to do that, you know, send out any order. So I have a bit of office work, but I also like to cook and I see to myself. But I, because I don't get out very much, having given my car away when I was 90, I do have have company by I say I'll do lunch on the veranda and that's what I'm quite good at doing lunch on the veranda sounds fantastic and, and sounds a, a wonderful lifestyle and are there other passions that you particularly pursue and, and prioritize time for well, I belong to the University of the Third Age, you see, and that uh, in the past, well, I have attended so many courses. One year they made me student of the year because I had attended the most courses, and they're very interesting mm. indeed. Some things to enliven your brain and keep your brain sharp. That's what I like, you know. Mm. Apart from, you know, my 
previous life, which still keeps me busy because I've got four children and I was once an artist and I painted oil paintings and I made my golden bowls and I went to university when I was 71, you see, and I got my BA and my Bachelor of Arts Honours degree too. So that kept me busy Mm. for four years. You know, I have lots to reflect on and I'm a trained nurse too. And I've done a fair bit of travelling, so I do have a lot to reflect on. <laughs> there's, there's many strings to the bow. Doreen, just want to explore your thinking in terms of your approach to your ageing journey. and your. Have you made conscious plans in terms of your physical well-being and maintaining your physical capacities and uh, health, if, if you like, in terms of your physical aspect of life? Well, look, I have been offered all sorts of help. You know, the government does help us old people. I think it's very, very good indeed. I don't Mm. complain. But however, I have a mindset that says to me, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I have knocked back most of the offers of help, Mm. you know, to shower me and to do this and that. No, let me do it myself. And I I do all of that for myself now. And I think it's much better for me. As well as that, I'm saving the federal government (laughs) quite a bit, I think. And I like that. That makes great great sense. And have you had methods and planning to to maintain your emotional well-being as well as your physical? I don't give that all that much thought, no, because I don't like to get depressed. You can get depressed thinking about yourself too much, Mm -hmm. it seems to me. But I just need to sharpen my brain and every day I keep my brain sharp. I think that's my quest, really. And I have conversations with my intelligent daughters, three of them each day, and uh, that sort of smartens me up too. And I make sure I get a bit of company every now and then. And, of course, I do a lot of reading. I love reading. It transports me to another world. So I'm just hoping for the best, really. But I know that if I want further care... I can get it, sure. should that be the case. And has your approach to, to your lifestyle, has that evolved over past years in terms of what you prioritise? And I Oh, guess the... it's not as I expected right. at all. How so? Didn't expect that I would find myself alone from the age of 50, really. Mm. I have been alone and I have been a single mother. And no, it's not at all Mm. as I expected. And I expected really that I would have only one man in my life, but I've had four, (laughs) four long-term relationships, you see. But I've been truly by myself, you see, since I was 82. So that means I've been nearly 12 years on really on my own. I've got to do everything here. Doreen, was there a inflection point where you had that clear recognition of, okay, well, this is my stage and my path now that I am single and I'm going to be likely on my own for for the foreseeable future. Did that shift your thinking and approach to 
to yes, life. Yes, of course, it must. And, and and to tell you the truth, you have to drop your standards a bit. You know, I might have wanted to clean the house so often and have it sparkling no. clean. Well, I don't anymore. Mm. No way. I haven't got time. Not if I'm going to have an interesting enough life. I have to drop my standards. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and it's, so it's being flexible and adaptable. And, oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, you, that's what you must do. Yeah. And you must be content with what you've got. I don't hanker to have a life that I know I can't have. No, I'm, I'm, I'm taking after my grandmother. Someone, she lived till she was 98 and somebody asked her, what a newspaper reporter asked her, to what did she owe her longevity? And she looked at him as if he was stupid and she said, contentment, of course. <laughs> and so I remember that all the time and I think just mm. you're doing the best you can, just be content with it. Do you think that's something which is lacking across our society at the moment. Yes, I definitely do. I think there are a lot of people who are saying, poor me, I'm old, I can't do this and I haven't got that and now I can't afford that. And No, I think just be content with what you've got. And thinking about your your past, you've had four long relationships, you've had different pursuits at different times and we'll come to those shortly as well. How do you think all those experiences and phases of life have informed where and who you are today? Well, I think it has given me a good basis to be able to talk to the young who cross my paths frequently, you know. I mean, I have a young fellow who helps me in the garden when he's able to spare the time away from the girlfriend <laughs> and all of that. But, you know, it means we can talk together, you see, and he appreciates the fact that I understand his situation. And, it, yes, I think my life has given me a good understanding of life and enables me, A, to be an interesting person, but also to be interested in others. Doreen, you've mentioned your, your writing, and I do want to come to a couple of your books in particular, if that's okay. Um, starting with the one you mentioned, which was titled Sex in Your 70s, and I know that had quite an impact, and you have your website platform as well with that same name. Can you talk to me about some of the social misconceptions, particularly around intimacy in later life and some of the uh, things you've observed or, or seen across, particularly around some of those misconceptions. You see, in the book, I interviewed a lot of people, but there are 33 interviews in the book. And as I talk about them and get their stories, the story reveals such a lot. You see, mm. I do it in this way. Celeste was wonderful. She talked about how to bear her ageing body to a younger man, how that was a terrible, terrible problem, you yeah. see. And she was talking about the flab that we all hate and all of that and how it affected her man. But yep. it's re we don't really have to worry about the flab, it seems to me. But however, she said there was another far more important matter and that was what to do with your teeth. <laughs> yes, she had this problem. She introduced this problem. She had these dentures and I think there were a couple of partial plates and she had her man ensconced in the bedroom waiting for her to come in on his first night at her home. And she thought, well, will I leave my teeth in? Will I take mm -hmm. them out? And she thought, no, I better leave them in. I generally take them out. But at any rate, so she left them in and she got ready for bed and then she went to the door and smiled at him in bed and he smiled back and there were all these gaps. <laughs> and so she screamed out, where are your teeth? And he said, 
I never wear my dentures to bed. It's bad for your gums. <laughs> oh, well, then, she said, in that case, I'm not wearing mine. And she's not the only one to have talked to me about the problem of what to do with your teeth. Yeah, mm. something very practical. Very that... practical, that's right. Do you believe people have this presumption that intimacy, the sexual activity needs to or will stop at a particular point in life and that they don't realise that it's something that can be maintained through later life? I think um, a lot of people think that, but not the people I interviewed. Mostly the people I interviewed, you see, were in a sexual relationship or wanted to be in a sexual relationship. And so the ones that were not in the book are the ones who think it should stop when you're about, I don't know, 40 or something, I think. But the ones I interviewed, no, were interested in, in keeping their love life going because it's so good for you. You know, I'm one, I was one of those, you see. Yeah. And uh, I write a lot about sex being a pleasure and not a duty, you see. I think that's terribly important. I think that's the main message that my book gives. Just enjoy your sex life because it's so good for you and don't make it into a duty. Often family members will scoff or laugh at the, the concept or the thought of parents engaging in sex uh, at, at any age, let alone uh, at a later stage of life. What should family members be better respecting in regards to intimacy and the, the sexual health, if you like, of older family members? Oh, I think it's asking too much of them. The young cannot can hardly stand the thought of their mother and father making love or God forbid, their mother with another man or their father with another woman, you know. My children have had to face both of those prospects, of course. And and then they, they handled that not too badly, but they won't think about it or talk about it. Mm. But then when I wrote the book, Sex in Your 70s, well, of course, they were totally ashamed of me and wouldn't let me mention the book. And Now, that has all changed with their maturity and they have become middle-aged you see and they understand some of the problems that faced me and my husband and uh they've changed altogether they're quite proud of me now they sure. say oh you know she wrote the book sex in your 70s so it's all changed how can people evolve their their thinking is it a maturing of people's views as they do get older so that they can accept themselves and be more open to maintaining a healthy sex life through later life? Well, I think it's up to the individual. And if you can't do that, well, of course, you generally remain single and alone. But if you long for the opposite sex and their company, not only for the sex, but just for the daily living. I love being in double harness myself. It just suits me, yes. you know. So therefore, I've, I've always been... Um, open to forming a, a relationship, yes. you see. And, of course, this people can tell. But if you're not open to that, well, if you just remain alone. And I think that's what develops you. You sure. see, meeting someone new and getting new ideas. In that spirit, what's your view on the, the myriad ways now that people can find another person? through different platforms and different services, etc. Oh, yes. Well, I think it's too liberal. I definitely do. You see, I've, I've, 
I'm not a promiscuous person at all. I have had four long-term relationships, end of story. That's what it's been, and they've ended for some reason or other, you see. And um, I haven't been promiscuous. I haven't been running around sleeping with everybody at all. I'm not something hot to trot, you know, <laughs> not, not at all. Whereas I think that with the young, they, they, a lot of them will go to bed with anybody, really. And, I, see, I don't approve of that at all because I think that's just being too liberal and silly. I like to have a meaningful relationship. Sure. Understood and, and respected. Doreen, let's talk about your most recent book, Gardening in Your 90s. Can you talk to me about the concept and the motivation to, to put this book out there in the first place? Oh, well, of course, it happened during the pandemic and I was sitting in the garden and, and we had to isolate and my daughter came along and I said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I, I have to isolate. She said, well, why don't you write another book? I said, well, what would I write another book on? And she said, well, she said, I think you should write about gardening, really. So that's what I sort of, in my mind, I thought, yes, me gardening, will I talk about about my compost holes, I'm mad on compost. I tell you what I have found helpful in the way I have to garden, you see. Yes. I tell you about the pitfalls that I have faced, how I have overcome them, the funny things like fertilising pumpkin flowers. And as I garden, I know, I think about my life. So therefore, the book is really a big memoir of my life, you see, and the things that I associate with, say, pumpkins or sweet potatoes or green peas and what part of my life that reminds me of. And, of course, there is this little love story interwoven through the pages in a subtle sort of a way which leaves my reader wondering, how does this end up? Using the example of gardening, talk to me about how people might identify pursuits that are can be of similar importance to them and, and provide them with the similar benefits that you've gleaned from gardening in, in your life? Oh, yes. It, it gives me an enthusiasm. As I have said, I have the planning. You know, if I have to plan the soil. I have to prepare the soil, which I'm doing now. I'm preparing to plant my sugar snap peas, for example. That'll happen next week when I get the soil ready. Yep. And it gives you an enthusiasm and it, it rewards you. The garden, in particular, rewards me me with the produce which I believe keeps me a bit healthier than I would otherwise be. You know, some people would come to me and say, I think this is just terrible. You have to do all this work. You have to look after this yard. Dorian, I think this is me terrible. And I said, don't feel sorry for me at all. I am lucky that I have it to do. I have always replied. It keeps me energetic and interested. So that's what I always say to everybody. It's good for me. Prior to writing books, you undertook a Bachelor of Arts at the age of 71, I think. How did that come about? Oh, I can tell you that easily. I was an artist at the time and I had an art gallery up here where I live and I sold my own work, my own oil paintings, my own 
golden bowls, I call them, and beads, and my copper enamelling, and I made beads. Beads are good sellers. Now, there I was in the gallery one day making my beads, rolling the clay, you know, into little balls, putting a hole through them, right. painting them, glazing them, gilding them, all of that. A lot of work goes into beads. But I was making them, and I was 70, and I thought, now, when I die, and you do think these thoughts, and I go to heaven, and I meet St Peter at the pearly gate, and he says to me, Doreen, what did you do when you were alive on earth? And I say I made beads. He could well say to me, I think you could have done a lot more. So thereupon I had that thought and I got straight up from my chair to the phone and I phoned Griffith University because my daughters who have all attended university, have often said to me, you know, Mum, you should go to university, but I didn't think... I, I had the ability to do so. So I rang Griffith University, got a charming person. I asked, what did I have to do in order to get admission? And she told me how I had to be assessed and she put me on the right track, which I did. And of course, that's how I happened to go. And I did well. I got a grade point average of six out of seven. I've got wow. a university medal. I was made a member of the Academic Society of intellectual honour or something like that it's called anyhow and uh, I just absolutely loved it with this thirst for knowledge I just sucked it all up and so that's how I happened to go. I can see from the way you were speaking that the the energy you derive from undertaking that is, is still very much with you before you got those amazing results and a university medal what was the experience like going to university that that seemingly later point in your life what was the response and reaction from fellow students and others in the university environment oh well i was terrified for one thing i not only was terrified of going to university i was terrified of driving the 40 k's there i was terrified of getting a park which is very hard to get but i overcame all of that and once i got into it it was pretty good because i think I would say what I thought, you see, and I even had lecturers in a big, say, 200-person lecture hall, and they'd be talking about something, they'd say, what do you think, Doreen? And I'd get up and say what I thought, you see, and they wanted me to do that. I sort of, they, they liked me to be part of of, of the class by doing that. And one person of about 40 was complaining about the workload and how now they're asking us to do this big, hard assignment. <laughs> and the lecturer said, what do you think about this, Doreen? And I said, well, look here, I said, if every Tom, Dick and Harry can come down here and get through university without quite easily, without having to apply themselves to a difficult assignment, I don't want to do it. I said, I only want to do it if it's difficult. I used to say things like that. Brilliant. Coming back to finishing university, what did you do next? Well, then, you see, when I was doing my honours degree there, the subject of sex came up, and there were only 24 of us in this rather exclusive honours class, and then they were talking about sex, and they said, you know, there's one area of sex that hasn't been explored and researched very much, and that's sex involving the older person. And they looked at me and said, there's one person here who's just the one who can do it. I said, what are you looking at me for? And they said, come off it, Doreen, we know you're in your 70s. We know you've written Barefoot in Logan Village, which they love, and they said, 
said, we know you can write, so this is what we think you should do when you've done your honours degree. So that's how the book came about, you see. Wow. And I said, well, that's what I'll do. <laughs> I did. And you've said previously that that book changed your life. Yes. How so? Well... I had been a non-entity, practically, you know, just an ordinary entity, we should say. <laughs> and um, But then when I wrote that book, people either loved me or hated me, you know, I, and some of them thought I was dreadful. But, it's, but I did a lot of guest speaking and uh, it led to magazine interviews, radio interviews, and one ABC radio interview led to... Um, I being on television and I became a television minor television <laughs> celebrity, you know. For three and a half years I was Dear Doreen on the morning show, you see. Yes. That's how it altered my life because it gave me yeah. all this other stuff. How did you feel hearing and receiving, whether you liked it or not, those differing views from people as you said some liked you some didn't how did that make you feel yes it made me feel dreadful sort of but my only reply was to the phone calls if I could speak to these people which did happen and I'd say look have you read the book invariably the answer was no I why would I read such rubbish you know or something they would say and I'd say look if you do read the book and I encourage you to do so you will find out that there's nothing smutty in the book it's not pornographic at all. It's about people and their stories, and there's a lesson to learn. I explained it to them. I don't think I had much effect, but mostly people have come around now. Wonderful. Doreen, I think I'm right in saying that during the latter stages of the Second World War, you worked for the US Army in some respects. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. Well, you see, the war sort of changed my life, as it would have been sure. too, because... Um, well, going from the country, I was born to a dairy farmer on the Logan River, you see, and so I was, I think I was probably a backward child, I don't know, because we just went to a little 20-person uh, school at Logan Village, walked the five kilometres barefoot, that's how I got barefoot in Logan Village, and, um, but then, and We did learn a fair bit at that school, but we didn't do mental arithmetic. Well, then when I went to a city school, they were all doing mental arithmetic Mm. and I couldn't do it, so they put me down with the dunces down the front. Well, then, ultimately, of course, I caught on to how you do mental arithmetic. Clearly. And I was good at it. Yes, yes, and hands on head. My answer was correct. And he came over, the teacher came over and said, Doreen, did you copy someone else's slate? And I said, no, sir. And they were all wrong around me anyhow because I was down the front. So that's where my upwardly mobile journey began, mm-hmm. I reckon. I won a scholarship to the Brisbane Girls Grammar School. But it was while I was there doing my junior, that's grade 10, at the end of 1943, that Australia was in such a bad way and the Brisbane line had been drawn, the Battle of the Coral Sea had been fought, Singapore had fallen, we were in a bad way and so when I finished my junior I was taken out of school and put to work. I was going to go on to senior, become a, go to university and become a journalist, you right. see. That's all I wanted to do. But I was put to work. I was manpowered to the United States Army post office sorting mail. Well, then later on, they took me 
to another department, the Adjutant General's department, took me to a big Quonset hut in Victoria Park. Inside there was a huge pile of books and papers and a whole lot of bookshelves. And they said, we want you to sort this lot out. And so I became a librarian at the age of 16. Wow. I was in charge of all the field and technical manuals in the United States Army in the Southwest Pacific area. Yeah. Another amazing experience. It was an amazing yeah. experience, yes. Really interested in getting your views more broadly about ageing and what's your sense of society's view of ageing at the moment? I think it is improving. I, th- I think we the ageing population has been largely invisible in days gone by and I have found myself to be invisible. And, of course, what you learn when you get old is not to hold the floor all the time unless you're particularly asked to do so. You know, you have to sort of stand back if you feel like pushing your opinion. But uh, I have found myself that my opinion is not asked for But if I have an opinion, I generally wait for the others to give theirs, then I give mine. So therefore that renders me less invisible, Mm -hmm. you see. But I still find that as an an ageing population, yes, we are fairly invisible, but growing. There's a voice. There are so many old people now. We're growing in numbers that we have a voice. They want our vote, for example, you know. So we do have an opportunity to say what we think in certain instances, yes. And in terms of the role of families, what do you think people at a younger age need to know to better support their older loved ones. And I don't mean support by taking away people's independence, but in terms of that support or empowering of older family members. Oh, I think there's something wonderful the young can do. And I have a couple of grandchildren who have done this for me. They have said to me, Grandma, just tell me about when you were young. They've asked me about myself. And that's a marvellous thing to do for an old person, really. It's much better than bringing them a meal or something like that. You just ask them about themselves. Yeah. And as someone who clearly has maintained and, and perhaps enhanced your sense of purpose through later life, what's your advice for people of differing ages to maintain their sense of purpose? Oh, I think... Push your boundaries. And I'm still pushing my boundaries every day. I'm pushing my boundaries right now. (laughs) But I push my boundaries and I think, no, can I walk down to that tree? Yes, I'm going to jolly well walk down Mm. to that tree or whatever I want to do. Just push my boundaries a bit. Don't be afraid, but push your boundaries and achieve what you can and keep smiling. Always try to be cheerful. Wonderful advice. Doreen, I've got some standard questions that I've, I ask people at the towards the end of each interview, so I'll run through these with you if you don't mind. By all means. If you could talk to yourself 20 years ago, what is the one piece of advice you would give yourself? I would say don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You can probably do it. Wonderful. Mm. Which ties in with your previous advice about pushing boundaries. Yes. The next question, what is the greatest thing about getting older? The greatest thing is I think you view the world differently and I have come to learn more about... I have found myself 
that's been quite good for me, mm. really, uh, and it has given me confidence. And I've thought, well, really, you're not too bad. Was that a conscious pursuit to find yourself? Oh, I think about my own self because I like to improve myself if I can, you see. This is in the quest for improving oneself which I'm into, and so therefore I have to think about myself and my life and I think, well, should I have done that? And I analyse some of my actions, yes, when I was younger, some of which were good, some of which were bad, and so I have to understand myself. If I can understand myself, I'm happy. The final question, one thing you hope for in your future? I hope I can leave behind good memories, really. And I hope I can keep going long and until I can no longer do for myself. I want a bit of independence if I can possibly get it. Thank you. <laughs> well, you have it in spades at the moment, Doreen. And from a 16-year-old librarian to a 74-year-old honours student to a successful author in her mid-90s. You are an inspiration and we're very grateful for you spending time with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. So many lessons and inspirations to take from that conversation with Doreen. The benefit of lifelong learning, the value of being open and positive, the potential for love and intimacy at every age and the importance of not accepting the stereotypes and negativity about getting older and how we can be ageing better by tapping into our passions, whatever they may be. For more information like these life lessons from Doreen, please go to the Booming website, booming.net.au.